Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Web3 Business Podcast, helping you navigate the future of business. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Web3 Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web3. Today, I'm going to be joined by Richard Chan, the founder of Manifold, and we're going to explore a really easy way to make NFTs. Now, here's the deal. You may not know who Manifold is, but so much of the functionality that is commonplace in NFTs today, creative business applications, were innovated by Richard. And I think you're going to find this super, super fascinating. If you're thinking about starting an NFT project and the technical side overwhelms you, or you need some really creative business model ideas of what you can do with NFTs with fascinating burn mechanics and all sorts of other functions, I think you're going to find today's interview absolutely fascinating. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter, and at Web3Examiner on Warpcast. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over this week's interview with Richard Chan. Helping you to simplify your Web3 journey, here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Richard Chan. If you don't know who Richard is, you need to know Richard. He is the co-founder of Manifold. Manifold creates NFT tools that enable creators to take advantage of Web3. Richard, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Michael. Good to be here. So today, Richard and I are going to explore why NFTs are so important for creators and businesses and also explore an easy way to mint NFTs. Now, Richard, before we go there, I want to hear your backstory. Like, how'd you get into NFTs? How'd you get into Web3? Start wherever you want to start. Yeah. So, you know, I've been in crypto for you know almost a decade now. I started off in early Bitcoin. 
uh, you know, started building tools in that space. Ended up leaving crypto for a little while just because all we were doing was moving money back and forth. And that wasn't really interesting from a technological or programmatic standpoint. And then I would say I came back into crypto in 2021 when my co-founder at Manifold sent me an MC he had just purchased. And I looked at this thing and was like, what is this thing? It made absolutely no sense to me. He like purchased a, a JPEG. And, you know, I was just perplexed, you know, like, what did he actually buy? He, he spent like a thousand dollars on it. So I was like, okay, you know, a thousand dollars is a pretty chunk of change. And then I was just like, cool, the art looked cool, but you know, I thought nothing of it. A week later, he sent me another one. He spent $1,500 on this one. And I was still like, cool, but still just like not quite getting it. And then a week later, he's like, okay, you got to get into this, right? So he's like, we're going to sit down and we're going to buy an NFT together. I need your help to buy one actually, because it was on a platform called Nifty Gateway and it was first come, first serve. So meaning that there were 15 NFTs for sale. It was the pretty much the first person to click the button was the person who you know, ended up being able to purchase it. And so we sat on a Zoom call together. We set up the accounts and he's like, okay, I'm like, what do you got to do? He's like, at 4 p.m., click the button. And I was just like, this is ridiculous, right? And so you're saying that everyone in the world is trying to click the button at 4 p.m. And the first person to click it is the person who gets to like, like have to purchase it. He's like, yeah, that's the story, right? And so I was like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll humor you on this. And anyway, I set up, I set up my account with the gateway, go through the, go through the site. I'm like, oh, you, as a programmer, I'm like, okay, you can just like enable the button programmatically and click it. And so I did that, got from their buy page. I did it again. Um, there was a web request there. And so, you know, being a programmer, I was like, oh, why don't we just automate this? And so we automated this whole process, you know, put in a, in a curl command, which is, you know, a script. Wait, wait, real quick, just so so we understand, are we still on the story, or are you are you like? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is, this is this is the, this is how I got into NFTs. Right? Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't know if you had already like you're st- we're still in the story where you're trying to win one of the fifteen NFTs, yeah, right? Trying, yeah, trying to win one of these. Okay, so, keep going. Yeah. You know, so technically, we're trying to be smarter than everyone. Instead of just clicking the button and when the four PM comes, we get the computer to click for us. Ah, okay. And so you know, four PM comes, I click the button anyway, and my script is going off in the background. It's like sold out, sold out. I'm like, well, you know, that happened. It was like it was like instantaneous, right? And, you know, too much fanfare, everything's sold out. I'm like, oh, looks like we didn't get it. And then about a minute later, I get an email saying that I had purchased one of these things. And, you know, the thing is like this NFT costed $4,000. And I was just like, okay, like, what did we purchase? He's like, congrats, bro. You just bought your first NFT. And I'm like, cool. I'm like, so what did I buy? And what can I do with it? And he's like, well, you know, you can only do three things with it right now. You can, you know, you can sell it, you can transfer it, you can hold it. The art was pretty cool. I got it. So it was my first NFT. Like, you know, my first, you know, it was by an artist called Slime Sunday. Yeah, it was just like super cool at the time. And my co-founder was like, yeah, I think the most interesting thing for us to do is try to sell this thing. And so I'm like, okay, how much do we sell it for? And he's like, he, you know, he deliberated. He's like, let's try $15,000. And I was like, wait, what? Like $15,000? Like, who's going to buy it for $15,000? And he's like, bro, you're going to be mad. We've spent 20 minutes buying this thing. If it sells for $15,000, made $11,000. And right. And I'm like, of course, I'm not going to be mad, right? Just made $11,000. And so we listed it. We caught up because, you know, this is like just COVID was just at the tail end and we haven't talked for a while. And as soon as we hop, I got an email saying it's sold for $15,000. And I was just like, what just happened here? Like, I just completely like perplexed. Lots of emotions. You know, for one, my first thing this was like, like, oh no, we sold it for too low because it sold so fast, right? Which is kind of ridiculous because I was like, who's going to buy something for $15,000, you know, like, you know, a few minutes ago. The second emotion was like, I had this thing that I didn't have anymore. And it made me like, you know, it's just like this whole idea of 
like loss, right? And at that point, I realized, oh my God, there's something like big here, right? And this is the big thing that crypto was looking for, the, the actual consumer application of, you know, of crypto for, you know, the masses. And, you know, it was something that was very easy to understand collecting things. And, you know, to me, it was the emotional reaction I had that made everything real. And so from there, I just started diving in, you know, deeper. Like, you know, first of all, how do I do that again? You know, when I, I you know, I'll have to admit, when I first got into it, there was a big financial aspect to it. But as we started, you know, collecting this space and you're learning more about, you know, what was actually going on here, it just became clear that this was sort of the, the future of visual objects. And we started building, you know, tools for ourselves and started working with creators. And that eventually led to the creation of Manifold. Fascinating story. And somewhere along the way, you ended up getting a crypto punk with 3D glasses. And that's part of your identity right now for those that aren't watching on video. Was the first company you created Manifold in this space or was there another business that came before that? Uh, no, it was Manifold. Manifold is the first thing. So tell us a little bit about what was the idea when you decided to create Manifold? Like, and when did you create it? Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, so I would say Manifold started, okay, so the official anniversary of Manifold is April 1st. So two years and like three days ago from today. And how it started was we started off as, I would say, collectors in the space. And so we started off just collecting NFTs. Because we thought they're cool, we're trying to understand what's happening. As we started collecting artworks, you know, every single artist that we were patrons of, you know, they were just very grateful for, you know, for us collecting their works. And as we started talking to artists, we started learning about, you know, some of their backgrounds of why they were NFTs, how they got started. And a lot of these artists were coming from, I would say, the creative industries, but they were working, you know, client jobs, working for different agencies, and really kind of living paycheck to paycheck at that point because, you know, they're they they couldn't make a living off their own artwork. Right. The way they would make the artwork, make a living would be by selling digital prints or, you know, digital copies of the artwork. But there was really no like monetization strategy for them. You know, I must see prints for like, you know, 10, 20 dollars or so, you know, not for a poster. And so when NFTs came along, it really gave them an avenue for the very first time to sell their artwork, you know, as with the same level of, you know, provenance as, you know, physical artwork. Right. And now they had, you know, create digital artwork as an NFT and sell them for thousands of dollars, you know, just like, you know, an actual painting. You started realizing that these artists, you know, this technology had just changed their lives. It had really given them a lot of, I guess, a lot of, you know, control over, you know, the output of the artwork, a lot of agency, you know, and it really just validated their careers as artists themselves. And so when we started talking to these artists about, you know, what NFTs were, they're like, yeah, it's just a new way for us to sell, you know, sell things. But then, you know, coming from sort of a blockchain and gaming background, myself and my co-founders, we realized that, you know, there's so much more here. You know, it's about, you know, sovereignty. It's about agency. It's about control. It's about, you know, the technology, the underlying technology that enables all of this. And so a lot of the artists actually understand the technology of what was actually, you know, happening. We started working with artists on just creating creative projects. So one of our very first projects was a project with an artist called Mad Dog Jones. So we were talking to him, we collected his artwork and we're talking to him and he's like, and we're like, did you know you can burn an NFT? And he's like, burn an NFT? What does that mean? He's like, you can destroy an NFT, right? And coming from a gaming background, we're like, you know, a simple mechanic you could do is you can take your old NFTs, you can destroy them to create a new NFT. And he was like, wow, it's wild, right? And it had never been done before. And so we worked with them on a campaign. It was called the Crash and Burn campaign on Nifty Gateway. Uh, we had a bunch of data from Nifty Gateway. We did a modeling, you know, sort of like a, we did exercise where we modeled all the collectors and decided, you know, what was the right, right, you know, levers to pull to kind of make this an interesting campaign. And, you know, when we launched the campaign on the gateway, there's a drop. The drop is for over $4 million by itself. 
But then, yeah, the mechanic that we had invented, the burn, the burn redeeming mechanic, took the prices of the pieces that we were burning from $1,000 to $150,000 in the course of two weeks. Wow. And he was just like, wow, like, you know, like, you know, just because we had this interest mechanic that it created this like ripple effect for his, his ecosystem. And so from there, you know, the next thing was like, how do we, how do we create something really cool? How do we just create, really create an awesome NFT? And so we collaborated with Mad Dog on a new, another NFT project. It was called The Replicator. And we sold it at auction at Phillips for $4.2 million. And so, yeah, single NFT, right? And so the interesting thing about this NFT was that it was the very first time a major artwork had sold on its own smart contract. And, you know, the reason why this is important is because this NFT, which is a conceptual piece of artwork, could only exist as an NFT, as a medium. Like there is no other medium that this NFT or this artwork could be expressed on. And the reason being is that the smart contract is actually part of the artwork itself. So the smart contract runs sort of the visual experience of the, of the NFT. And the idea is it's a, it's a photocopier and every single month, a new copy of this, you know, NFT gets generated and it's also deterministic and so, or probabilistic, right? So what that means is that, you know, next month it may or may not print another NFT, right? Or it could jam because it's a photocopier. Uh, and then over the course, yeah, over the course of a year, it will generate, it generated about, I think like 180 NFTs of various fashions of, you know, various creations as imagined by Mad Dog Jones. And Mad Dog really, really had, a, have a, had a lot of fun with it. It's sort of like interactive or experiential because every single month Mad Dog had to create a new artwork for this thing to print. And he would, you know, take a look at the market and be like, hey, you want some cool stuff going on? He'd actually build that into it. And so, yeah, like I said, this was the very first time that a major artwork had sold on a smart contract. Previously, it had all been on platform contracts. And once that was done, you know, once that all wrapped up, everyone was just like, wow, that was very cool. And artists started thinking to yourself, you know, what does it mean for my, myself to have your own smart contract? And that's when we created the Manifold Creator contract, which is the very first product that Manifold launched. And we started releasing those artists. And, you know, it really enabled artists to, one, have, you know, agency over, you know, their, how they operate in Web3. And two, it really made it so that people started thinking about NFTs, not just as, you know, images as JPEGs, but as an expressive medium that could create very interactive, you know, experiences. What I love about, uh, and we're going to get into what Manifold makes possible a little bit later in the interview, but when I first started my exploration into Web3, one of the biggest challenges for anyone who's creative that wants to do an NFT project is the whole contract side of it. And what I love about what Manifold is doing is essentially you're kind of providing that tool, for lack of better words, that enables creative people to not have to worry about the technical contract implementation side of it, which is so much of a barrier right now on the creative side. Now we're going to, like I said, we're going to get into all the amazing things that Manifold makes possible. But before we go there, there are creators and business people listening to this show that might not yet understand why NFTs are so important and why digital goods ultimately are so important. So since you've been so immersed in the space, what do you want to say to those that are maybe a little skeptical? I'd say you got to take it back down to what is what does the technology enable? And so, you know, it's almost like the narrative we're having right now is very similar to the early crypto days. You know, people always say, you know, crypto is a scam. It's not useful. It's just like Ponzi. A lot of those same conversations I had, you know, in the early Bitcoin days, you know, I'm also having help with NFTs. But, you know, you have to kind of think about, you know, what's the long-term goal and long-term vision? And what is, like I said, what does the technology enable? And so fundamentally, what I think that the blockchain technology and NFTs in general enable 
is that they allow digital objects to have properties as of real world objects. And so that means, you know, especially around ownership. Why is that important? You know, as we spend more and more of our lives online, uh, you know, experiencing things and, you know, kind of navigating or not really navigating, but just like, as we spend more time online, digital, you know, we're spending digital objects are really just an extension of the real world, right? And so if you think about, you know, I own something, right? Why can't I own something that is digital? An example of this is, let's say, you know, like Roblox, for example, or, you know, these metaverse games or all these games that kids are playing these days. They're very used to the idea of owning something in these games, right? Their identity, their objects, but they actually don't own them. When you have, you know, and if they're backed by NFTs, you can actually say, I own this, right? And no one can take that away from me. When you think about, you know, as a business person, uh, if you are creating something, you're usually working with a platform on doing so. These platforms really have full control over, you know, the methods of display, content, interactions, and they really control the audiences. And so, you know, I've heard many different cases, you know, from many, many different uh, artists we worked with, right? Uh, musicians, brands, and so on, was that, you know, they spent years building up an audience on different platforms, whether it be Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, and then all of a sudden the algorithm changed, right? Or, you know, Facebook started charging to get access to their audience, right? And these were audiences that they had spent years building up. And all of a sudden, you know, Facebook was like, now we're going to charge you in order to reach the audience that you built. And they're like, well, you know, what are you going to do? We spent years building these things, right? And they really had no control over it. And on top of that too, it's, you know, when they want to, you know, really connect with this audience, right? They really don't have the proper way, proper channels to do so. And so, you know, what NFTs kind of enable is that they kind of flip that narrative on its head. So instead of, you know, you have a platform in the middle, you have, you know, creators and people building audiences and, you know, the consumers on in that kind of bubble. NFTs make it so it's the other way around. So that creators can now become in the middle and own the platform and have a direct to direct relationship with their audiences. And then the platforms can come around and say, hey, you have NFTs, we're going to build functionality on top of this so that your audience and yourself can engage in. And then if, as, you know, as one of these owners or creator, as a creator who's kind of in this ecosystem, if you don't kind of like what the platform is doing, you just tell your audience, hey, we're going to move over here now. And you know, your whole audience is now portable. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating paradigm shift, right? Because my other, my company is called Social Media Examiner. We've been around since 09. We've taught the world and creators how to essentially use the social platforms to, you know, build the audience and ultimately engage and sell products and services. And the whole world of Web3 and NFTs is kind of starting to flip it on its head a little bit. You still need access to social typically today, right? We use Discord, we use Twitter, dot, 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 dot. But in the end, we own, if you will, the relationship with the audience. We know who they are. If we want to be able to get them down to the contract level, we can do that with NFTs. What I would love to explore with you is utility a little bit. Let's talk about some of the cool things that you can do specifically with NFT projects. Maybe let's start with uh, product launches and what your thoughts are on using NFTs to launch products. And then we can maybe get into like music, art, collectibles, and all that other kind of fun stuff. Yeah. So, you know, we've seen, you know, Manifold specifically, we've seen a lot of community like, use case around product launches, right? Like linking NFTs to launching a product or a service. And why is that interesting? Because when somebody collects an NFT, it's saying that, hey, I'm a fan. I, you know, I'm, eng I'm engaging with the brand. It also costs money to do so, right? Because like every single transaction, that you do on the Ethereum network costs gas. And so, you know, there's a saying that it's like, you know, the hardest thing to do is get someone to pull through wallet. You know, it's it's either free or even paying a dollar is like, you know, is overcoming that hurdle. And so when someone collects NFT, they're saying like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm willing to pull my wallet to collect this thing. And it really creates this really strong tie 
between the collector and the creator, right? And so for product launches, what we've seen is a lot of brands and companies and even creators are doing their product launches using NFTs. And they're, they're primarily doing them as free NFTs, so free being just pay the gas fees. But what it does is that it creates an audience that is very wide, right? A very wide and very engaged, engaged. And then what they're doing with these NFTs after the fact is that they're doing kind of re-engagement campaigns. And so these re-engagement campaigns, they'll look like you can either take your NFT, you can burn it for something, you can take the NFT, you know, redeem it for, a phys- for physical merch, you know, in real life events, digital content. And, you know, what it's saying is that the utility of NFT is not just the NFT itself, it's everything you get around it, right? So it's almost like they're using it as, you know, it's pretty much like high engagement marketing for, you know, the people who are collecting these things. As of uh, literally right now, for anybody who's part of the Yuga ecosystem, you know, they dropped their other deed to the other side land, you know, a while back to everybody who had a board ape, I believe, or a uh, mutant ape. And now you can burn that NFT to get this new thing, which is a evolved version of the land. And then this uh, coda, if you happen to have one with a coda on it, and if not, they've got this other thing called vessels, right? And I just did that literally this morning, right? So I'm taking that old NFT, I'm burning it. I'm essentially destroying, sending it to a null contract, right? And then I'm getting two NFTs out of it that each have their own independent value. And have you seen any other interesting ways that from a launch perspective, like what are people doing on the launch side of things? I would imagine in some cases they could sell NFTs to fund a product launch as well. Are you seeing that happen as well? Yeah, we're seeing many use cases uh, for NFTs, including, you know, like launching launching projects and using the funds for doing so. And then also tracking that, you know, if you are kind of an early holder or supporter, then you're going to get something down the line, right? Whether it be merch or access to, you know, the end product itself. You know, in this model, we sort of see NFTs as being like patronage plus, right? So you have, you know, platforms like Patreon and Kickstarter, but NFTs are just like, you know, the platformless way of kind of achieving the same thing. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about the artist side of things, right? We've got on Manifold, you've got musicians, you've got graphics artists, and you've got, I would imagine, I don't know, video artists as well. Like what are some of the applications that you're seeing happen on the artist side? I know you, you spoke earlier about an artist that you guys started to work with in the beginning, but I'm curious, like nowadays, what are, what are, how are people, especially creatives using the platform? So I would say that there are many different facets for, you know, creators, you know, one, on one side of things, there's just pure art, right? So a digital creator can come in and be like, hang and make art and just sell it, you know, for a price to collectors. There are also people creating like interactive campaigns, right? So some people are like, Hey, you know, collect this NFT. And then there's a kind of a, a game behind it. If you collect this NFT, then you can go down this, this map of, you know, burn this NFT for this other NFT. You know, we just introduced a functionality where you can start remixing NFTs and like, or combining NFTs together. And so it's really interesting to see what creators are doing with this because, you know, some creators are now being like, hey, you've collected one of my NFTs before. You collected an NFT of, you know, one of my artist friends. Let's burn them together to get kind of a remix collab, right? Um, you know, and it's very common music, but now there's a way to kind of monetize that for digital artists. We're seeing people create sort of like memberships, right? So memberships have been a, a, a very big kind of segment. The reason being is that, you know, it creates a direct consumer relationship and it really makes it so that, you know, if someone is a member and then, you know, there are various things they can do, right? So they can participate in the ecosystem, but you know, if they're not happy with it, they can just sell, sell the membership to somebody else, right? And that's like part of the benefits of, you know, having this like portable 
or not portable, but interoperable like ecosystem. And also, you know, part of having everything be on chain is that you can then take these, you know, NFTs that you created and any other community can ingest the information because it's all on chain. It's all available publicly. And so you can be like, if you're a member of this one club, we started another you know, project and any member of that club has access to these, these features and benefits. Okay. So I've got a million questions now specifically about, about Manifold. So first of all, Manifold does, it is interoperable. If you use the manifold.xyz website, it is interoperable with OpenSea and some of the, and all the major exchanges or Blur. Or like, is that true? Let's start there because um, obviously anybody who's listening right now that wants to go and launch an NFT project, could they just go to Manifold and would that contract end up showing up on OpenSea? The way we design Manifold is that we think of ourselves as, you know, being the creator's platform. Our, our saying has always been the creator's platform platform. And so we've worked very hard to make sure that everything that Manifold does is interoperable with every other kind of platform in the ecosystem. And so our contracts, the only contracts that, you know, once you make an NFT on them, you can then take these NFTs and bring them to, you know, OpenSea, Rarible, Blur, you know, the, the, the permissionless platforms, so look for, but also the permission platforms are compatible with, right? So that means like super rare foundation and Nifty gateway. And so our, ours are the only contracts that, you know, are compatible with across the board for all major marketplaces. One of the things that I hear a lot of people on the show talking about is it's really important to get the contract right because you can't change the contract once it's executed, right? So, yeah, so how are you guys, is there an advantage? Are you learning things and changing the way you guys generate contracts based on bugs that get revealed over time? Do you understand what I'm asking? Because like somebody copies someone else's contract and may not know that there's like a challenge with that contract. Are you guys always refining this? Cause, or have you designed a contract that can actually be updatable? I don't I'm, I'm, I'm outside my technical knowledge area. I'm just asking a question that I think maybe others have on their mind. So actually we've only done one upgrade of our contract ever since launch. And so, you know, the very first manifold career contract, it was really designed architecturally to be very different. And, you know, the big, you know, out, just to be a bit more technical about it is that, you know, the pattern that most people used, it was called upgrade, upgradable proxy, which meant that the creator at any time could go underneath and change the underlying implementation of the contract. That didn't well with us because that means that whoever kind of had control of the contract could just change everything on a whim. Like, for example, if I had a contract that was upgradable and said, Michael, you have collected one of my NFTs, I can then at a later date say, I don't like that you collected one of my NFTs. I'm just going to take it away from you. And so, you know, if you have an upgradable contract, that is actually possible to do. The way Manifold is designed is that we actually have very strong guarantees around, you know, the functionality of the contract. But what we do that is kind of different than everybody else is that we we created this kind of extension framework where you can install modules onto the contract to extend the functionality and, you know, effectively sort of like upgrade, you know, what you can do on those contracts. What that means is that you just have to have one contract and then you could just add all of these sort of like, you know, modules of different features on this contract to really create new experiences. Which I want to talk about right now, which I think is super exciting. So let's talk about open editions first, like explain to everybody what that is and what you can do with that so they can wrap their head around that. So an open edition NFT is, you know, a single NFT that has multiple copies of it, right? So you can think of it as, you know, one artwork, but then, you know, many, many different people can collect this artwork. There's two versions of an open edition. One is a 721 and one is an 1155. And so, you know, uh, a 721 is like saying, I have a poster and I'm going to label each poster, you know, one, let's say I have 10 copies of a poster. And on these posters, they may say, this is number poster number one, put number one on it, you know, number two, all the way up to number 10. 
right? So that's a 721 version. And each one of those is a unique poster. That's kind of the more common use case today that most people are doing with this. Yes. I would say no, that's not the common oh, really? use case. That, okay. that was the traditional use. Oh, okay. Traditional use case, right? And so the common use case is to use an 1155. And the 1155 just says, hey, I printed, you know, uh, 10 versions of these posters. They're all the same. It doesn't matter who owns which one. They're all they're all the same. There's no numbers, no, no unique. There's, each one is not unique, but you know, anybody can collect these things. And you can have multiple of them. And it just says, I have a balance of these, you know, I have a number of these posters by I'm a collector. And so why do people like one or the other? So some people like the the fungibility. Um, you know, a subject one is non-fungible, which means that everyone is unique. And so what that means is that, you know, if you have one, if I transfer it to you, then it says I transferred poster number one to, you know, to, from Richard to Michael. But, you know, the there are some limitations of that because if I think about NFTs as building blocks for future items, that means that if you want to do something with that NFT later on, you have to be like, okay, I need posters one through 10 to be part of this other ecosystem. Whereas with the 1155, it's like a fundamental building block of saying, hey, just this, anybody who has this one poster can then go do subsequent things with it. So without getting super technical here, what I think is exciting about open editions is, is the timing and the fact that you can like, this is where it gets super like Amber uh, Vittoria had an open edition, one of her pieces of mm -hmm. art, and it was for like three hours, right? And you can mint as many as you wanted for a price, as long as you got it done within that time frame. Isn't that kind of, they tend to be potentially unlimited. Is that correct? When we say open editions, is that generally what that means? Yeah. So open editions means that there's no guarantee about how many will be minted. Ah. And so, yeah, right. there's, there's different variations. So some people call it, you know, there's like limited edition, open edition, timed editions, right? And so there's different nomenclature around, you know, the different mechanics, but open editions kept generally seen as there are multiple of these, you know, NFTs being created. And, you know, it's not quite sure, you know, how many are going to be created at the end of the day. And what's exciting about this from a creator perspective is, you know, you can make a lot of money with these, right? Because if you've got a decent size audience and you do an open, like normally when, when, when creators are launching NFTs, they might just have like 10 of them or a hundred of them and that's it. And they're kind of pricey, but with open editions, I've seen a lot of them lowering the price, but restricting the time frame, right? And it's whoever gets it, gets it. And it's kind of like, almost like a lottery, right? Cause you have no idea how many they're going to be, but you know what the price is. And we've seen a lot of a lot of creators make a substantial amount of money doing these open editions. Is that what you're seeing as well? Yeah, but you know, I would say that I would say it's there, there's two versions of this, right? So there's a version where you know you're selling a you know a digital good, which is NFT as an open edition, right? And you are kind of pretty generating income for that. The other version is that there's a lot of creators are doing free NFTs right? or very low priced NFTs, right? We're talking about you know like zero dollars to five dollars, and you know what they're doing. Why this is kind of interesting is that they're using this to build build audiences. Right. It's almost like, you know, I'm, I want to be a patron of this creator. I'm interested in what they're going to do in the future. Or, you know, I might just like the artwork. Right. It's like saying, you know, I'm willing to buy this piece of digital work for five dollars, which is the price of a coffee. Right. There's kind of no expectations after the fact. But it's just like, you know, we have this inherent nature of wanting to collect things. And I think digital goods are just like part of that extension of, you know, uh, of things that we're we are starting to collect now. Well, and this is interesting because if it is free, the good news about an open edition is it seems like you can set a date range on it, right? Like you can, you can say this open edition is going to be open forever, or you can say this open edition is only going to be open for a month, right? And then you can promote people to get it and it's free. 
but when it's closed, it's closed, right? That's kind of the applications that we're seeing with a lot of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Now I'm seeing when you combine the burn redeem thing, this is where I want to go back to that because you mentioned that a little bit. You mentioned earlier about the burn mechanic, right? Which is the ability to basically destroy an NFT in exchange for something, right? So talk to me a little bit about the burn redeem mechanics and options and how people are using them because I think that opens up a whole bunch of different models that are fascinating. Yeah, so, you know, when a lot of collectors, creators were creating NFTs, you know, they'd always ask, you know, what's next? You know, I have these NFTs, collectors even ask, I bought some NFT, what's next, right? And so for a lot of people, it was always just about, you know, sitting around NFTs and just hoping that the price would go up, right? Kind of speculating on, you know, the ecosystem of the creator. And so what the burn mechanic does is that it creates a secondary engagement point for NFTs. And so now creators can be like, okay, I have these NFTs on the ecosystem. Uh, I want to do something with them, right? I can exchange for more. I can do something like, you know, create more artwork, right? And what this does, it changes the supply of the original, you know, the original items that were created and, you know, allows creators to really express, you know, different ways of taking one artwork and moving it to, you know, different ecosystems. And so as an example, right? So there's a really kind of like fun use case. So the creator of Nancat, he created a meme, which is Nancat. But, you know, but for a long time, he created something called NAM Balloon. And so he never released that. He never ever released that, right? So what he did is that he launched NAM Balloon as an open edition on Manifold. And so I think he sold, I think, 21,000 copies of this for about, you know, $10, $15. What he did afterwards was that, you know, he's going to make a game out of this, right? And so he took each of these NAM Balloons, which are a cat, you know, being carried by a red balloon, and said, over the course of the week, I'm going to release a new rainbow color balloon. And you can burn the original red balloon to get, you know, a different color of balloons. And so what people end up doing is that they ended up, you know, taking the, the, the NAM balloon and burning them to try to get the, all, the whole rainbow of a sort the source, whole sort of rainbow balloons. And, you know, he capped it off by doing a rainbow, like an actual like rainbow balloon NANCAP. You know, it just like really created a lot of delight for, you know, the people who had engaged with this, you know, with this project. Well, and what's interesting about this is if I'm understanding you correctly, is he minted like 25,000 or whatever the number was really big, inexpensive. And then he came out with more rare balloons, right? Because everybody had one color of balloon. In order to get these more rare balloons, you had to essentially trade or burn one of your balloons for one of these other balloons. And this is where now you introduce rarity into the collection, right? And that's where some of the collectors kind of go crazy, right? And I would imagine there's also burn redeems where you could say you've got to burn multiple of these to get something like this. Have you seen stuff like that happen as well? That's correct. Yeah. So even for NANCAT, the one, right? In order to get some of the rare ones, you have to burn like two or three, three of the original ones. Got it. Right. And you, you, can, you can go further too. You can be like, hey, you got to burn X to get Y, Y to get Z and so on. You also have the ability to monetize the burn itself. Right? So you, for example, you could be like, here's a free open edition. But then if you want the subsequent artwork, then you have to pay to do the burn itself. Right. And so what that does, it really creates this really interesting thing where, you know, some people are using the open editions as currency to purchase future artworks. Oh, that's interesting. I've also seen, let's say you have an open edition and then let's say you have a, um, another NFT that you're selling. Maybe the open edition is free and then you've got another one that you're selling. You must have the open edition to buy the one that you want to buy, right? This is something that people do a lot, right? And then that that one that you buy might be a burnable token to get yet another NFT. You're seeing people do that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it's a, it's really interesting because you know when we created these tools, we kind of just said, hey, here's the tool, let's go wild with it, and we had no expectations of what creators do. We don't kind of enforce you know different ideas and so on. 
But it's just been really amazing to see what the community of, you know, artists and creators and, you know, projects, anyone doing a project has, you know, really done to leverage these tools. Talk to me about royalty registry and also Shopify and uh, a little bit with the merch bridge side of things. Yeah. So, you know, this comes back down. Okay. So I think royalties are a very hot topic. You know, it's always been a hot topic for the longest time. So a lot of creators came in this space, you know, and, you know, one of the big things that they were told was that royalties were, you know, one of the big reasons why creators were in the NFT space. So the, the idea behind a royalty is that when an NFT gets sold, there is a residual kind of, you know, portion of that sale that goes back to the original creator. And that's kind of like all on the blockchain itself. And so, you know, for the longest time, you know, every single marketplace had said, you know, we believe in creator royalties and, you know, royalties are important. And, you know, they were just like a given in the space. That, that, that fact isn't actually true, right? The fact is, is that, you know, the royalties were a social, con- social contract in the NFT space that were enforced on the, the marketplace side of things. So pretty much all marketplaces said, you know, we, we believe in royalties, we believe in creators, so we're going to honor kind of this like royalty system that was kind of, you know, created way back in the, when the NFTs were first created or when the foreign markets was first started appearing. But, you know, given that market conditions changed, a few marketplaces said, hey, we're not going to pay creator royalties because we want to attract more collectors, right? And so it's almost like, you know, some collect, they saw it as, you know, by having super prices or making more money for collectors or tra- and traders that they would attract more, you know, volume and so on. And so they got rid of royalties. And in response, you know, some other platforms, you know, some other platforms followed suit and kind of got rid of royalties. And so like, you know, so they came in and said, hey, we don't, we don't deal with fees, we don't have royalties, and they took away everything. And then that took a lot of volume away from OpenSea, which then, you know, they responded and then they took away, you know, fees and royalties also. That's kind of like what was happening back then. Uh, it, it still is going on right now. It still hasn't been resolved. But, you know, when it comes to royalties, you know, Manifold has always stood, you know, be, behind creators, right? So our contracts have always had royalties from the very start. And as we were working with creators and these marketplaces, we realized that there was a problem. So one of the big problems was that there were a lot of contracts out there that didn't have royalties, you know, the information of royalties on the contracts itself, right? So there's a, there's a EIP, it's called EIP, I think it's 1359, which is a royalty spec, which says, you know, a contract can say, here are the royalties that I want on a sale. And so what ended up happening is that every single marketplace ended up creating their own version of royalties. And so, and these were kind of closed systems. And every time a new marketplace uh, came out, that every single creator would have to go to the marketplace and configure the royalties, you know, on the marketplace itself. And so the royalty registry was a initiative that we, that we started a manifold to kind of rectify that. So it's, it's a two-part solution. So one of them is for creators. So creators can say, hey, here are my royalties I want for my, for my contracts, even if your contract doesn't have royalties, you know, specified in them. And it's a way for developers of marketplaces that, you know, ever pay out royalties can say, you know, there are royalties on contracts. I can just go to this one, this one source of truth and say, here are the royalties needed, right? And so the royalty registry has been adopted by, you know, all major marketplaces. And really it was our goal to kind of, you know, bring royalties to a common standard across the board. Very cool. So talk to me about the Shopify thing, because there's a lot of people that are in e-commerce that might be fascinated by this. Yeah. So, you know, as we were talking earlier, you know, a lot of people are using NFTs as sort of like a way to, you know, either pre-sell items or even reward people who have, you know, collected NFTs. And so one, one very common use case is to take an NFT and redeem it for a physical item, 
And so what we've done with the Shopify Merch Bridge is that we created a system so that, you know, you can create your own Shopify storefront and you can token, token get it by an NFT. So that says that if you own an NFT, then you will have access to physical merch on the store, right? And this merch can be paid, it can be free and so forth. But it really, what it really does is that it, it lets you kind of reward holders of the NFTs to say, you know, here is something that you can now claim, right? Only the people that have the NFTs can even get to the store in the first place is really what I'm hearing. You That's say. correct. Yeah. Okay. Question on PFP projects, right? Can you do a PFP project using Manifold or not? Because there is complexities, obviously, where every piece of art is different, you know, inside of a series. Okay. So technically you can do a PFP project in Manifold, but it's not easy. You have to be more kind of developer, more of a developer. Got it. Our, our goal has always been on NFTs itself and the art and the utility of the NFTs. Of the NFTs. Got it. One of the things that we said early on was that, you know, we thought, we pretty much thought PFPs were mainly speculative in nature. And we said that we didn't want to kind of fuel that speculation as a company. And so, you know, everything we do in Manifold has always been in the vein of how do we create, you know, more technological, technologically advanced PFPs or not uh, NFTs. A lot of the code for PFPs are just like copy paste, right? So it's just, it's very easy to deploy PFP, like PFP collection, you know, by yourself or on another, on another platform. Got it. Okay. But so most of the use cases that people are doing with manifold.xyz is the stuff that we've been talking about, like memberships, art. Question, how do y'all make money? Like what's the business model? It, you know, does it cost money to use Manifold? Yeah. So originally our business model was that we used to do, we used to do collaborations with artists. And so, you know, we've worked on probably two dozen of the biggest NFT projects in, in the space. And, you know, we, these are all partnership projects that, you know, Manifold took, took a cut of. Going forward on the platform side of things, you know, we announced our revenue model in February and that revenue model has been anything sold on a Manifold property. So these are app that Manifold XYZ, including claim pages and burn redeems, we take a fee charged to the collector when the collector engages with, with the page. And so what that, that looks like, it's about 50 cents to a dollar. And the way we see it is that it's kind of like a, a gas fee, right? So, you know, every single collector is used to paying gas fees when they redeem things or when they engage on the theory network, right? And so we're just saying, that, you know, this is the gas fee for Manifold to operate our services. On the creator side of things, that, what that means is that everything is free. Uh, so it's like it's like a fee when you're using like a ticketing site and they have like a trans like Fandango has that little transaction fee, right? Yeah. Is it a fee that's passed on to the consumer when they mint the NFT? Is that typically where it's collected? Yeah. And it's a very small fee, so it's like a dollar or something like that. Or is it is it variable depending on the price of Ethereum, or is it is it just in USD? It's variable on the price of Ethereum. Got it. It's hard coding that. Yeah. You know, I think you know. So speak of pricing model, right? I think one thing is that. The typical way that most kind of platforms make money in this space is they take a percentage of, you know, they take a percentage of the transactions themselves. And, you know, that didn't sit well with us when we were kind of like designing our fee model, right? The reason being is that if you look at what's happening with OpenSea, um, you know, OpenSea takes 2.5% of every single transaction. And what that means is that they're actually catering, they actually bias themselves towards, you know, the higher volume collections. And, you know, to us, it made no sense that, you know, if, if you're providing a service, it doesn't make sense to, I would say, like penalize people just because they're more successful, right? I mean, when you provide the exact same service, right? So on Manifold, if you sell an NFT for, you know, a dollar or, you know, a million dollars, the cost is the exact same. Whereas, you know, on OpenSea, that would be a difference between $1 and $10,000, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's very reasonable considering all the great services that you're providing. On the minting side, I've seen where I have to go to like a Manifold website to mint it. Do you have the ability to mint it on your own website? Is there like a piece of code where you can put a mint button there? Or do you always have to go to like a Manifold 
dot xyz domain to actually mint it as a consumer so yeah so the way we do that thing so you know the way we see manifold underneath the hood is that we are kind of an empty infrastructure company and so we actually design everything to be consumed by developers right so if you're actually an enterprising an enterprising developer or having a developer you can take pretty much take any one of our technologies and build your own like sites around them okay perfect right and so if you really want yeah if you really want to you can take you know so we have a widget system you can just take one of the widgets and put that onto your own website the most common way people are doing things right now is just using an iframe. So they'll take the Manifold page, they'll put an iframe and just like link it to their on their main site. And then they create their kind of own custom experiences around, you know, minting on, on their own properties. Looking into the future, do you have any sense of where everything is going? I mean, are you very bullish? I know we're recording this in early 2023 and we're still kind of in this crypto NFT winter. Where do you see things going? I'm very, very bullish on NFTs, right? Just because, you know, you have to believe that in the future, as we spend more and more of our time online, right? Digital objects are just going to be a thing, right? There's so many benefits that, you know, we all experience from, you know, interacting with the ecosystem. You know, I think a lot of people think about NFTs and the first thing they think of is, is price, right? They think like, you know, they're, they think of them as, you know, an investment, right? And, you know, that was kind of the case, you know, during the whole PFP bull run, you know, a lot of people buy NFTs for very high prices, expecting to, you know, make a return on them. But, you know, our kind of viewpoint is NFTs are more about the consumable content rather than the price, price of the NFT itself. And so, you know, I think the big paradigm you have to think about is, you know, if I think about two paradigms is one, remember when, you know, way back in the day when, they, when Apple started putting music online, right? right? People were like, you know, they, just, they, charge, they charge a dollar for song. And people were like, why would I ever buy a song for a dollar, right? A digital copy of a song when I can just have a physical version of it. Right. You know, lo and behold, that business actually took off, right? People were buying digital, digital content because it was very, very, you know, consumer friendly. It was useful. It was easy, right? And, you know, look at where we're at now. CDs aren't a thing. You know, that, that, the physical versions of these things are just not a thing anymore, right? I guess you have vinyl, which is more nostalgic, right? So that was like the very, very first paradigm shift of, you know, going more digital. The second paradigm shift is when I would say the app store, right? And when the mobile app stores came out, you know, people started charging, you know, for content in the applications themselves, right? So we're talking about the games, applications, you know, people were like, why would I pay money for a skin? Why would I pay money for accessing a level in a game, right? When, the, you know, the overall thing was free, right? Or there were free alternatives. But, you know, lo and behold, the App Store is one of the biggest, for, for Apple and Google, they're, one, they're the biggest sources of digital content out there. And so the way I see NFTs, NFTs are just next iteration of that, that doesn't require a platform. Like you don't have to be on Apple, you don't have to be on Google to sell digital content. And now you have a permissionless and platformless method for selling and engaging with consumers. And, you know, as, you know, kids these days, they're spending all their time on Roblox, you know, Fortnite, they're buying digital skins. And so, you know, when they grow up, they're just going to be, this is just going to be second nature. And so, you know, you can see the idea of purchasing you know, digital content just being a thing, right? And you have to believe that in the future, there's going to be billions of NFTs because we're just spending more and more time online. Another interesting thing is, you know, artificial intelligence. You know, AI has been a very, very hot topic in the last, you know, like few months. And the thing about AI is that it's actually made digital creation, the cost of digital creation almost go down to zero. And so anybody can now create digital content. And so there's two really interesting facets of that. One of them is, you know, first of all, how do you prove authenticity of digital content now? And so, you know, I'm not sure if you saw, but, you know, people are creating, you know, fake music videos or, you know, music videos of, you know, various uh, performers that, you know, look and sound like, like they're actually them, right? 
And so you could think of it as in the future, you know, how will you authenticate that these are real people? And if these are the natural, natural, you know, solution to that you can sign a message, you can sign a transaction saying that this is an authentic digital content and that, you know, then can then be proliferated from the artists themselves. The source of provenance of these things are going to become very, very important going forward because when something creates something, you want to know where did they come from? And that's where NFTs come into play. And so you can think of, you know, in the future, all these sort of things are going to come, come to fruition. And I think that NFTs are just going to be just, you know, a daily part of, you know, the internet at that point. Richard, thank you so much, first of all, for sharing all your wisdom and your thoughts and time with us today. If people want to check out Manifold, it's manifold.xyz. If they want to connect with you on the socials, do you have a preferred place you want to send them? Is it Twitter? And if so, what's your Twitter ID? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter is just at Richard. So it's at R-I-C-H-E-R-D. Yeah, I remember it's uh, with Richard with the E, not me. And then manifold.xyz is where you go to find everything. Is there any other place you want to send everybody or is that the main place if they want to check out everything? Nope, those are, those are the two places, right? So manifold.xyz and we also manifold.xyz on Twitter. Awesome. Richard, thank you again so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks, Michael. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash W69. And if you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. And will you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter, and at Web3Examiner on Warpcast. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Web3 Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day, and may Web3 continue to change your world. The Web3 Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. The information provided in the Web3 Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.